Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions that you guys sent in. However, we usually don't have enough time to get through all the live comments and questions that get sent, but I want to make sure you guys don't have to wait too long to get those answered, so we gather up those unused questions and we address them here on companion videos. So let's not waste any time and get right to it. Oh, you know, I'll give you a little bit of a of an announcement here. Well, you guys will be the first ones to hear this. So this Wednesday, we're recording this on Monday night, but this Wednesday is going to be kind of a special John Campbell show because it's going to be me and uh, Robert Meyer Burnett, but we're also going to be joined by Greg Alba of The Real Rejects. You know, I've had Greg on the show before. It's been a while, though. So he and I were talking. I was like, you know, it's been a while since he's been on the show. So he's going to come and join us on the show on Wednesday. I'm really looking forward to that. Anyway, let's get to your questions, shall we? We'll start getting caught up here with uh, my buddy Kevin Rubio, who writes in, Congratulations, Aaron. Do you have an Amazon baby registry slash wish list? For those of you who missed on a Friday uh, on our show before the live stream got kaputted uh aaron announced to the world i mean i've known about it for a while but aaron announced to the world that her and tom are having a baby and we're all very very excited for them and thank you kevin and thank you to everybody else who sent in well wishes before the show ended that day she really appreciated it and so did i so thanks for that guys all right next up uh my comic planet writes one of two after watching the amazing character arc for loki becoming the best version of himself what do you think Kevin Feige will do with his character going forward? Personally, I would hate to see it all. Uh, I would hate to see all this growth from him only to have him go back to being an asshole, LOL. But at the same time, this new Loki from the show is a very different person now from the Loki we've seen in the past movies. Do you see this being a challenge for Feige to address? I don't think it's going to be that big of a challenge. It's just Remember, a lot of his characters have evolved and changed over time. And remember, really, the Loki that we're at now is not too far off from the Loki that we left off with in Infinity War. Remember, Loki had come full circle. The difference between the Loki show and Loki's progression through the movies is that it took Loki many movies and many years to go from where he was when we met him in the first Thor movie to finally where he was willing to self-sacrifice to try to save his brother in infinity war in the loki series they took that loki and gave him a different path and that kind of accelerated that character evolution but it just kind of watered the same seed that he had buried in him so yeah i think kevin feige has been thinking about the future and direction of loki for a while and i would just i would like to see him taking on more of a you know um what's the word for it an anti-hero sort of thing i want to see him be a badass I'd love to see him fight alongside his brother. I love that in Thor Ragnarok, seeing the, you know, the, the Odin son brothers fighting side by side. I'd love to see more of that. All right. Thanks a lot for my comic planet. Next up, we've got Ben Rayner who writes, Hey John, happy Friday. This was obviously sent in yesterday. Well, the last show that we did on Friday, um, uh, in the, it's so bad. It's great discussion. Have you ever seen the 1986 babes in Toyland? I did. Unfortunately with drew Barrymore and Keanu Reeves. It's insane that Pat Morita, of course, um, Mr. Miyagi from the karate kid movies, uh, even has a small part in it as the toy maker. Curious if you've seen it and thoughts. I did see it ages ago. Like I was a teenager when I saw it. It's terrible. It's really bad, but it's, it's also a remake. I don't know if you knew that it's a remake of like a 1960, I think, uh, babes in Toyland toy that follows the basic, same basic principle. Here's the interesting thing about the one that they did in the 1980s. It was directed by, uh, um, not Richard Donner, uh, Clive Donner. It was directed by Clive Donner who the only, I mean, he directed a lot of TV. The only notable thing other than the babes in Toyland that I, I can remember him directing was the nude bomb the the get smart maxwell smart movie where literally the point of the movie was a evil maniac has a bomb that if he detonated it'll destroy all the clothes in the world hence this called the nude bomb but anyway uh, there's that yes the movie was truly bad not so bad it's good i think it was just straight bad but if you thought it was so bad it's good that's good all right next up thanks for sending that in ben next up uh i hope this won't a uh, yaz writes in I hope this won't become the new it's the X-Men theory, but I found it suspicious there was no villain in the Eternals trailer over under 30 percent on Kang or his repercussions being in the being the reason the Eternals are revealing themselves now. 
It's a possibility. I would probably set it more at like 15% rather than 30. And I don't really think it's all that odd that we don't see who a villain is yet. Remember, really, we've only had the one full trailer. And this is still a movie that's a bit off. I expect we're going to be getting another trailer within the next few weeks. But I didn't really find it to be all that suspicious. I don't see Kang fitting into the Eternals, to be honest with you. But again, I'll give it a 15% chance. 15% chance. And I think it's going to... My guess is, and it's only a guess. I have no insider information. My guess is it's going to be a brand new villain. But uh, possible that it's Kang? It's possible. I don't think likely, but possible. Let's keep our eyes on it. Thanks for that, Yaz. Next up, we got Godzilla 200 rights. Hey, John and Rob, yet again, I'm giving another shout out to another good 90s movie, A Time to Kill. That's a good legal drama. I'm a sucker for the legal drama stuff. Um, with its great cast, Matthew McConaughey, Samuel L. Jackson, Sandra Bullock, Kevin Spacey, Donald and Kiefer Sutherland. Matt's final courtroom speech is great. I am truly a sucker for courtroom dramas, and I honestly feel like we need more of them. And I know a lot of people do. I mean, that's the reason why things like uh, Law and Order and the 15 other spinoffs they have can be so popular. I am a sucker for the legal dramas. Always have been, always will be. And that was a good one, Godzilla. Thanks for giving that one a shout out, man. All right, next up, uh, Stephen writes, Hey, John, Robert answered this, but I wanted to hear your thoughts too. I'm sure you've been uh, you've been asked this before, but what are your thoughts on the Loki score? I have been asked that many times. It's easily in my top three favorite scores in the MCU and thought it really elevated the show. I really loved it. I thought the music was really quite good. As a matter of fact, I've always thought that the score traditionally for the first like 10 years, I always felt like the score in the Marvel movies had been one of the weaknesses. And, and honestly, I think one of the things that the DC movies always had up on the MCU is I've always thought they had better scores, but in recent years, especially like with one the music in all three of the shows, WandaVision, Falcon, Winter Soldier, and Loki, I thought had been very good, like really good. And even a couple of the movies you've seen that they have been elevating their game. So yeah, I really did quite like the music in Loki. Thanks for asking, man. All right, next up, uh, a man nicknamed Pooh Bear writes, hello, Gio and Rob. Obviously Rob's not here right now. Uh, Let's see, the 18th, that was yesterday, marks the 35th anniversary of one of my favorite movies ever, Aliens. It's my second favorite action movie of all time. Uh, after the first one scared me shitless, uh, the one, the one was, the one was, let me try this again. After the first one scared me shitless, the first Alien, the one was the action flick. You probably meant this one. This one was the action flick I never knew I needed. Still holds up to, what are your thoughts on this film? I think it's my second favorite action film of all time. My favorite action film of all time, uh, you'd only know if you heard me say it because you'd never actually guess, but is the um, Arnold Schwarzenegger True Lies. It's my all-time favorite action film. True Lies is everything a great action film should be. With the right mixture of humor, bravado, action, it's the, the perfect action film. I love it. Aliens is probably my second favorite one. It's, it's everything. It's a horror. It's action. It's exciting. It's funny where it needs to be. I mean, Bill Paxton was awesome. It's fantastic. I absolutely love that movie, man. All right. Next up, Ryan Loner writes, Tim Burton watches the reaction to the Loki ending. Oh, sure. You all love this ending now. But when I did it in Planet of the Apes, well, he did something a little bit different. I mean, he replaced the Abraham Lincoln statue. That's a little bit different than a statue in the Time Variance Authority. Little bit different, little bit different, but I do see the connection there, Ryan. Uh, next up, Nathan writes, one of six. Okay, here we go. Buckle in. Nathan writes, hey, John. Uh, last week, I made my triumphant return to the theaters after 16 months. That's awesome, man, to see Black Widow, and I loved it. I honestly forgot just how good it felt to watch a movie in theaters. Also, prior to the trailer starting, they played the video that Marvel put out a few months ago to get the fans excited to return to the theaters with the great voiceover from Stanley. I, I remember that. That's great. When they played that, I may or may not have gotten emotional. After all, I'm sorry, after all of the TV shows and movies that we've gotten and are still getting this year, it's hard to think we as fans are actually being given this embarrassment of riches that Marvel has coming in 2021. Yes, John, the term I would use to describe the insane number of Marvel projects we are getting this year is an embarrassment of riches, which is one of Rob's key phrases there. Also, 
I personally think that regardless of how people feel about the projects we've been given this year, we the fans need to give the cast and crew a collective round of applause for working on these projects in the middle of the pandemic to finish them or more or less on schedule when they would have been totally justified to wait until everything blows over to resume production. While things are getting a lot better than they were, things are not back to normal yet, and there are still projects in production. They are doing it for us, the fans. Thank you, John, for helping me get excited to go back to the movies. Well, Nathan, I hate to be that guy and rain on this very joyous message you just put out. But make no mistake, are they doing it for the fans? Partially, yes. They're also doing it for the fans' money. Make no mistake about that either. Doing it for the fans? Sure. I'm sure there's a part of the motivation for that. I'm sure that is part of Kevin Feige's thinking and a part of Bob Chapek's thinking and Alan Horn's thinking and all the big people. But make no mistake, they're also doing it because they think it's good for them. I mean, let's not over-romanticize these big corporations. So I like to think it's a little bit of the mixture of both. And it is crazy. when, Like when you look at 2021 and 2022, I mean, just Marvel alone. The stuff we are getting this year, we've already had three. Well, now with Black Widow, four, but we already had three big series and now a major movie release. We've still got several coming. We've got Spider-Man. We've got, uh, uh, what, uh, we got the Eternals and we've got, uh, oh damn, what's the other one? Why am I freezing what the other one is? Shang-Chi. So we still have three full motion pictures coming all this year. It's crazy. And then 2022, it still is crazy. But in 2022, it's not just Marvel. It's also DC's got a big number of projects coming out too. So it is, for those of us who are fans of the comic book genre, it is an embarrassment of riches. It really is. Anyway, thanks for sharing that, Nathan. I really appreciate that, man. Next up, Min Tran writes, finally sat down to rank all the MCU. Uh, and wow, you're right about Black Widow. The 20, in the 24 MCU films, Black Widow came in at number 13, right in the middle. Yeah, I, that, that's what I said about, listen, I like Black Widow. I just, I didn't love it, you know. For me, it's a middling MCU film. Now, a middling MCU film is still better than a lot of other movies. So I quite enjoyed Black Widow. I would personally probably have, have it even lower than 13. I probably would have it like in the... 15 to 19 range, maybe even like 16 to 20 range. But even that is all good movies. Like, I, I honestly think there's like two movies the MCU has made that aren't good, that are poor movies. Uh, Thor, Rag or not Thor Ragnarok, Thor The Dark World and Iron Man 2. I honestly think those, those are the only ones that are just straight up not good. All the rest of them are minimum good to great, to unbelievable. Like, so coming in even on that place on that list is still not bad. It's still not bad. But I'm glad you have it as high as 13, man. All right, next up. Uh, Min Tran also writes, if shows like Loki or The Mandalorian have a higher episode count per season, like 13 or 24, would pointless episodes like the Tatooine episode or episode three of Loki bother you just as much? Yes, and here's why. Because you can do side stories. Here's a great example. And I like to use Supernatural as a good example. You guys know I'm a big fan of Supernatural. But when that show was on, like that show had 22, 23, 24 episodes a year. And of course, not every episode would be following the main story. A couple of times a season, they would have like side episodes or throwaway episodes, right? But they always did something fun with those episodes. Whether it was... You know, Sam and Dean caught in a sitcom universe, pocket universe, or one of the greatest episodes of television ever, Scooby, Nat Scooby Natural, where the Supernatural boys, you know, Sam, Dean, Castiel, all got trapped in a Scooby-Doo cartoon, and they had to solve a mystery with the Mystery Gang. One of the greatest episodes of TV ever. You can do those you can do those episodes, but you can still put heart and love into them and make them something really interesting and fun. There's just no excuse for like episode, like the Tatooine episode of Mandalorian wasn't just, it, look, a lot of Mandalorian episodes are individual isolated adventures that have aspects that feed into the larger mission, right? Like, okay, I've got to get from here to here, but to get to here, 
I have to do this one little quest for this guy to get me something. Getting that something gets me this other thing, but I have to do this other quest now for somebody else to get the next piece of the puzzle. So every episode was its own like little standalone adventure story with that played in bit by bit to the larger overarching thing. The Tatooine episode was just a bad episode of just like the whole point of it was just look everybody. It's the cantina from star Wars. Remember that cantina? Ooh, aren't you having fun? Like there, there was nothing else redeemable about that episode. It just sucked. The only, well, the one good thing about it was that it kind of introduced us to Ming-Na Wen's character, which that was great because I've gone on to really like her, but, or episode three of Loki. It was literally just them sitting on a train, having some kind of inexplicable stuff happen. And then the episode ends. Like I get it. They were trying to use that episode to show a growing bond or, or developing bond between Loki and Sylvie, but you can do that while other things are happening. You can do that through a narrative. Give us a side mission or a side story that they get involved in that then shows that going up. Getting on a train to travel to a ship is not that. So you can have, and I expect there to be side episodes. Absolutely. Just put heart and love and passion into those and make them as standalone pieces of content, engaging and fun. You know, it doesn't, it's never acceptable when you're asking somebody to tune in and spend an hour of their time to watch your product. It's never acceptable to just hand them something you didn't think you needed to put much effort into, you know, it, it's just not right. So anyway, that's kind of my take on that. That's my take on that. All right. Next up, uh, Ryan Loner writes. If I'd been a WB exec in 1993, I totally also would have said, have you seen the Lost Boys, Flatliners, and Falling Down? This Joel Schumacher guy, he seems like the perfect person for Batman movies. Hindsight is 2020 after all. No, you're exactly right. And listen, that comes up all the time, Ryan, and I'm really glad you think along those terms. Because a lot of people second-guess decisions after the fact. But then but when you go back and say, look... You can see why that this decision that this studio or this director or whatever made before it got executed made perfect sense. It made perfect sense. But sometimes in life, you can do everything right and still have it not work out. That's a lesson they don't teach kids, and I think they should. In life, you can do everything the right way, and it still may not work out work out a great analogy for this to me life is uh, can be all summed up in poker terms but you get dealt pocket aces and somebody you know goes all in the right decision is to call you got the best hand in poker you call all in but guess what even though you have the best starting hand once you know the flop comes and the turn and the river hits by the time the river hits you may no longer have the best hand it was the right decision to call all in when you got perfect when you got pocket aces but that doesn't mean you're going to win. You'll probably win. You probably win. If you do all the right things, you will more times than not, it will work out, but it won't always. And I think Joel Schumacher is a great example of that. So it's, that's well put, Ryan. That's well put. All right. Next up. He who walks behind, uh, behind T counter writes, Hey John, love your shows. Thank you so much, man. My dream pitch crew from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, plus Kevin Hart and Terry Crews to do a remake slash reboot of Police Academy 1 and 2. I love those movies. Uh, it would be so funny. Uh, Danny Mahoney, Charlie Zed, Terry Hightower, Mac Tackleberry, and so on. Man, listen, uh, first of all, I, I wouldn't care for that. I think that's too, uh, too novelty thing. I mean, if you want to take one or two members of Always Sunny and do a Police Academy movie, that's cool. But I think just taking a whole cast, I don't think that works. But that said... Police Academy. I still remember, I watched that as a kid and thought it was the raunchiest, dirtiest thing I had ever seen. And it's pretty risque. But man, I love those movies. Who is the lead character? Mahoney? Mahoney! I love those movies. I think they're great. Of course, they fell completely off the rails after number two. And some think number two was pushing it, but then they did like three, four, five, six, 17, 25, 31. At some point, even Wayne Gretzky's wife was, was in one of them. If I remember correctly, anyway, yes, I love, 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 love the police Academy movies. And I think at some point they should, 
I think they should reboot them. I really do. I love those movies completely. All right. Thanks for sharing that, man. All right. Next up. Suthius writes, uh, Marvel's recent projects have had female directors. Uh, Skokland for Falcon the Winter Soldier, or Skoglin, I should say, for Falcon the Winter Soldier, Shortland for Black Widow, and Heron for Loki. I think Marvel hiring more female filmmakers is great. I'm curious, which do you think did the best with their respective project? I'm, I'm going to say this. I actually think uh, Shortland with Black Widow did, because I think Black Widow was also the tallest order. It had the most pressure. You're dealing with a un non superpowered character that has already died in the cinematic universe. And you've now got to take that character, add to their background, give us something interesting and make a fun and engaging movie. Now I think they really blew it with the villains in that movie. I mean, they totally crapped the bed with the villain. I thought taskmaster was terrible. I thought the Ray Winstone character was terrible. Um, they just crapped the bed with the villains, but I liked everything else about the movie. I thought the action was good. I thought the family dynamic stuff was great. David Harbour as the Red Guardian. I will watch a total solo movie of his any day. You announce tomorrow, I'll be there. I thought he was incredible in it. Rachel Weisz was fantastic in it. Florence Pugh was fantastic. Obviously, Scarlett Johansson. I really liked the movie. And again, to me, it's a middling MCU film. Middling to lower middling MCU film, but I still thought it was quite solid with it being a massive, massive amount of pressure for that. And so I thought all three of the ones you mentioned did a very good job. I'll give the little bit of a nod to Shortland, even though she's going to have to do better work with villains next time, or at least make sure that part of the script gets ironed out a little bit. All right. A silly goose writes. Might make some big old babies upset with this one. I love Captain Marvel. I really like Captain Marvel. I thought it was a really good movie. Uh, made over a billion dollars too. And Black Widow. I saw Captain Marvel three times in the theater. Higher Was, was it higher, faster, stronger or higher, stronger, faster? Whatever. Um, and I've already seen Black Widow twice in IMAX. I don't see them as female superheroes. I just see them as some badass superheroes. I'm a 22-year-old fella, but I have looked up to Black Widow since 2010 in Iron Man 2. That being said, John, if you ever catch me complaining about a character's gender, go ahead and punk me on the noggin real hard. Thanks. Yeah, listen, the funny thing is, I, to me, it's embarrassing and painfully, embarrassingly and painfully obvious when people complain about an agenda when it comes to like female-led movies, what is embarrassingly obvious is they're the ones with the agenda. You just can't stand that they're doing this. I mean, it's so funny. Again, I had the same debate with somebody the other day about, you know, oh, Marvel's just doing all women's stuff. Well, okay, wait a minute. How, how come you do realize that the MCU for over 10 years in the first like 22 movies, 23 movies, they only had one, like before Black Widow, out of the 23 movies, they only had one out of 23 that had a female lead. Like you do realize that, right? Like one out of 23 out of 23 films, only two of them didn't have white male leads. All the rest of them had white male leads. And then in that you had captain Marvel and you had black Panther. So now when they start making up for that disparity and they start making a couple of more, I mean, yeah, we're still getting Loki and yes, we're getting, you know, other stuff. But now that they're actually, you know, making up for a little bit of that disparity, everyone's like, oh, Marvel's just all trying to be, you know, blah, blah, it's like, wait a minute. By that logic, Marvel had a totally anti-female, anti-black, anti-everything agenda because 20 one out of the 23 films they did was all white male leads. And now that they've done a couple that don't, you're saying that they hate men. It's like, uh, it's, it's, it's just the stupidity and the, the, the political agenda that people try to bring into these situations to me is just confounding, but whatever. Okay. Next up, uh, Adam S writes, Hey, John, if the MPA uh, allows one F-bomb in a PG-13 movie, then how did The Martian get away with two and not get an R rating? Keep up the great work and have a wonderful day. If I'm not mistaken, I think you can do two. I think you can do two. 
And then I also think about how I think the MPA takes into consideration how it's said and where it's said. And was the Martian rated PG-13? Let me just look at this. Um, what MPA did the Martian get? Um, let me just look this up. Okay, no, it did get a PG-13. Yeah, so. But yeah, I, I do believe you can do more than one. I think there for a while it was believed it was one. Then I think we found out it was two. But it, but like I think depending on how it's said, the MPA will take into consideration how it's said. Was it jovial? Was it done innocently? Like was it done? You know, I I think they take all these things into consideration. Whereas if somebody drops an f bomb, says I'm gonna f your mother tonight. Well. That one may be enough to get an R rating, right? So I think there's a little bit of art. It's not an exact science with the MPA ratings. I think there's a little bit of art in there, and they're not always consistent, to be honest. But I, I think, yeah, I think you can get away with one depending on how it's used. Anyway, thanks for asking, Adam. Next up, Netflix movies suck. They certainly, with a few exceptions, there are a few exceptions, but generally, yes, they do. Uh, have you seen Gunpowder Milkshake? I have. We talked about it on the show this morning. Netflix continues their track record of crap movies. What a disappointment. Uh, give this one a hard pass. One of the worst movies of 2021. I will say this for Gunpowder Milkshake. The second half of the movie starts to pick up. The action gets, there's, there's an action scene in the first half of the movie that is like bad. It's like you're watching, it's like, this just does not, this looks bad. Like, this action is not convincing. The action set pieces they did then in the second half of the movie, it did start to pick up and start to get a little bit tighter. Um, and the dialogue started to get a little bit better. But yeah, overall, it's, it's I don't know that I'd call it the worst of 2021. No, I know I wouldn't call it the worst of 2021. There are worse. Uh, Fast 9. But, and there are worse than that probably. But uh, it was unfortunate uh, Karen Gillan, I was really looking, I was really looking forward to it. I thought the trailers were great. It has an amazing cast, amazing cast, but, uh, yeah, I ended up being really disappointed with it. And again, Netflix continues its track record. Amazing series generally shit the bed whenever they try to make original movies anyway. All right. Next up, we got Brazilian dude who writes one of two. Hey, John. You mentioned the other day that you believe the multiverse storyline will end before the introduction of the Fantastic Four, as Feige planned Loki's storyline before the Fox acquisition. However, uh, according to James Gunn in 2015, uh, Kang was owned... Okay, Rob and I talked about this the other day. Kang was owned by Fox. He is a Fantastic Four villain. Not exactly. He's not. Anyway, the Loki season finale features the first MCU character previously owned by Fox, according to Slash Film. Did Feige change his five-year plan? Maybe the Fantastic Four are indeed a part of his modified vision. Okay, so this is a big misunderstanding. So yes, back in 2015, and Rob and I talked about this a while ago, like uh, before Loki ever came out. Uh, and then we talked, I also think we talked about it back in the AMC days. Anyway. James Gunn at one point in 2015 had come out and said that Kang was actually still owned by Fox. However, what most people forget is not long after that, or sometime after that, it was, the, it was kind of clarified that, well, it's kind of more like a Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch situation. Disney could, or Marvel could use Kang, but there were certain elements they wouldn't be allowed to reference. Much like Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver could be used in, um, in X-Men Age of Ultron, but no mention of mutants or them being mutants, nothing about their, their parents being, you know, Magneto or anything like that. None of that stuff could be referenced. Much like Fox could use those two characters, but make no mention obviously of Avengers or anything like that. So what kind of came out after that was that Kang actually could be used by Marvel. However, there were certain elements of the character that they wouldn't be able to reference. One such thing was the actual introduction. I believe it was the original introduction of, um, of Kang, I think was Ramatut. I think his Ramatut, Ramatut, uh, persona was one of the first things. Who was the guy who actually like raised apocalypse back in the ancient Egyptian days. So if I remember correctly, it's been a few years. Like I said, it was on a movie talk that we did anyway. Um, so it was a character that could be used. So no, listen, 
Kevin Feige is still human. He may have changed his plans, but I, the Kang presence do, isn't doesn't point towards that uh, because, again, they just could use him. But much like Scarlet Witch and whatever, they could only reference certain things. So there's that. To the best of my knowledge. But again, that doesn't automatically mean that Kevin Feige didn't have other plans. So who knows? We'll have to see. For now, I'm just still sticking with what Kevin Feige said. All right. Thanks for asking that, man. Next up, uh, Russell Amador writes, Hey, John, uh, we've now covered a couple of... Uh, sorry, we've now covered a couple of we've got this covered hot takes, most recently being the Batman situation. We are always informed, uh, don't trust them and preach that to my cousin when he sends me this nonsense. Why give them the time of day? This is what they want. Well, here's the thing, Russell. We don't give we got this covered. By the way, never, ever, ever read we got this covered. And if you ever see somebody sharing a story that comes from we got this covered, ignore it. And we do ignore them all the time. We don't cover any of their stories. However, when one of their fake BS stories picks up traction and there are people in the fandom that start to believe it and buy into it, and I start getting a lot of messages from people saying, John, did you hear this? Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Well, then to me, it's got to be addressed. It has to be addressed at that point. And I think the reason fewer and fewer people now and, and I should say the reason more and more people now know that to ignore we got this covered is specifically because outlets like mine and others will point out when something starts picking up traction, guys, listen, it came from we got this covered, ignore it. And now no, more people now know. Then some time passes, most people ignore it, but then something picks up traction. Then you got to mention again, listen, guys, this comes from a site that's completely unreliable. Do not listen to them. They're, seriously, there's a Twitter account. I can't remember which one. Some of you guys pointed out to me that actually tracked all the scoops that we caught this cover did. And it's something like 3%. They have something like a 3% accuracy rate. They actually did the math on it and everything. I can't remember the Twitter account, but it was a bunch of you guys that sent it to me. I remember a long time ago. It's terrible. But yeah, when a bunch of when a bunch of our fellow members in our online community start hearing it and start believing it, and they're not aware of where it came from, then yeah, it needs to be addressed. It has to be addressed. Like I don't just look at, we got this covered every day and see a BS story and then say, well, we're going to talk about that on the show. No, it's only once I get a number of people who buy into it, writing into me, that's like, okay, well, we should address this just to, you know, to end the confusion. But anyway, that's kind of why we do that, Russell. All right, next up. Mark 2021 writes, Hey, John, I saw somebody write in talking about movie composers and that John Williams was mentioned and myself am a fan. You talked before that, that you don't like biopics, but if they announce tomorrow, I don't like musical biopics normally, but anyway, but if they announced tomorrow that a John Williams biopic was being made, would it excite you? No, no. And the reason it wouldn't excite me is simply because I have no idea if there's actually an interesting cinematic story to be told about John Williams. Would I go to any venue to watch John Williams tell stories about the, the you know, his career? Absolutely, I would. But I don't know if there's anything, like, I don't know, maybe John Williams in his early 30s developed a major cocaine problem, almost lost his family and his life and his career, and then courageously, through the help of others in his life, got him back on his feet, and he became the musical genius that he is, which is basically the storyline of every single fucking musical biopic, right? Every musical biopic's the same, pra practically, right? Somebody born with an amazing gift, they start to get some success, they fall hard on drugs and, ab and alcohol abuse and substance abuse, and they pretty much become in danger of destroying their, ho their whole lives. But then somebody special comes along and, and kind of helps them find their true selves and get back on their feet again and to really reach their creative thing. If you're thinking about five or six different musical biopics, it's because I just described all of them practically. They're all the same. That being said, like there are some musical biopics I love, like Walk the Line, Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, th there, are, there are musical biopics I really like, but they're all the same. So if we found out that John Williams had such a story to tell, or had some big drama in his life that would actually make for a good cinematic story to be told, then I'd be interested. But other than that, I have I wouldn't just instantly be excited about a John Williams biopic because I have no idea if there's anything exciting or big dramatics that happened in his life. I just don't know. 
For all I know, this was just a smart dude who led a successful, sensible, common sense, smart decision-making life, which is the life to have, but wouldn't make the most interesting movie. (laughs) You know what I mean? Anyway, that's just my thought on that. All right, next up. Now, somebody's going to be making posters of John Williams having a major cocaine habit in his like late 60s or something. Okay, the Wakandan Forever writes, I signed up for my local movie theater rewards program. Nice. They gave me a free popcorn and movie credits. Hey, that's value. Like, because popcorn costs like seven bucks, so why not? I signed up for Regal and AMC too. The deals. I will be couponing uh, later and churning butter by candlelight tonight. Uh, living that Amish paradise, Sean, LOL. And listen, I th- it's really unfortunate, I mean, for many, many reasons about the pandemic, but as it relates to the movie industry and the movie fandom, one of the really big unfortunate things about the timing of the pandemic was the movie theater industry was really in the midst of this, the biggest metamorphosis they've ever gone through in the existence of the movie theater industry, the transition from a single pay per use model. That has always been the model of the movie theater industry. Always since the beginning, buy a ticket, come see a movie, buy a ticket, go see another movie. And the industry has been going through the most major change in its existence of transferring from that pay-per-use model to a monthly subscription-based model. That is the biggest, most significant transformation the movie theater industry has ever gone through. With the introduction, well, first in the UK, Cineworld had their plan first, but in North America, you know, AMC came out with AMC A-List, Regal as Regal Unlimited, other theater chains developing their own, you know, subscription model. And it's been the best thing in the world for movie fans. And just as they were really coming into the full force of that transition, the pandemic hit. And it's been really unfortunate. But that's good on you, Wakanda, for signing up for those because I think they are incredible cost savers. They get us more invested in the movie-going experience. I think it's great. So I'm glad you did that, Wakanda. All right, next up. Jesse writes, Hey, John. With Black Widow being available right now on Disney Plus and theaters, I was wondering when is it cool to send some spoiler dis- questions because I have some thoughts on uh, on the end of the film, but they are quite spoilery. Well, normally speaking, normally speaking, we like to give a few months for open spoiler discussions about theatrical theatrically released movies with big, big, major blockbusters that everybody's seeing, like an Avengers Endgame, we'll say, give it a week. Because after a week, the vast majority of people have already actually, the vast majority of the people who would watch a show like mine have already gone out to watch it. You know what I'm saying? So we'll make some exceptions sometimes. With Black Widow, we're now past its second weekend, and the reality is it's available on TV. You had to pay for it, but it is available on TV. So I would say give it about another week, but I, I, I won't give the normal spoiler window because it's, it's not a normal theatrical release. It's available at home, which means if anybody really wants to watch it, they can sit down and watch it. I mean, obviously that doesn't include everybody in the world because Disney Plus is not available everywhere in the world. But yeah, at that point, once the majority of our viewing audience has seen it, then we can start. So I'd say give it another week or so. Give it another week or so. Just give everybody a little bit more of a chance to watch it and then uh, and then maybe feel free to send in some questions after that. All right, thanks for asking, Jesse. Very good of you to ask that before just sending them in. All right, next up, Alan Renshaw writes, Hey, John, someone wrote uh, on your show recently, wrote into your show. Let me try this again. Hi, John, someone wrote in, row you show, recently wrote into your show about Valentina being a team about Valentina team being the foil in Avengers five. Yes. Somebody wrote in and asked if this group that Valentina or Elaine has been putting together. I mean, she's got Yelena now and she's got uh, the faux captain America, the American age, U S agent. Um, where are we at now? That Valentina team is being a foil for Avengers five. And you said the team is not formidable. You add red Hulk ghost Zemo, abomination and taskmaster that team and is very formidable no it's not no it's not that's still that's still a c-list bench team right there other than abomination other than abomination that's still a c-list bench team 
What's Taskmaster going to do against Thor? I mean, Zemo, what's he going to do? What's what's Zemo going to do against Ant-Man? What's Zemo going to do against Hulk or uh, you know, or, or or Doctor Strange or whatever? This is still a B C-list bench team. And I don't even think they're bringing in Red Hulk. I don't think they're bringing in Red Hulk. Now, I'm not saying they're definitely not, because if you just look at the way things are transpiring, it's clear they could, right? So so nobody misquote me and say, can't be a guaranteed there wouldn't be a Red Hulk. No, 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 I, I am not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm leaning towards I don't think there's going to be a Hulk. But it, when you look at how it's transpiring, it's possible, but I still don't think they will. But yeah, again, look at that list. Look at that list. That's that's not a super, that's not a Thanos-level threat. Like, if you're doing Avengers and the last big foil, like, you go from uh, Loki and invading alien army to Ultron to Thanos, uh, U.S. agent Baron Zemo and Yelena. Ooh. Yeah, I, I just don't see that being a global Avengers-level threat that is going to pose much of, a, much of a problem to Avengers. It's got to be something on the level of... A, I'm not saying it's going to be Kang either, by the way, but it's got to be something on the level of a Kang or the level of a Doctor Doom or the level of a Galactus. It's got to be something that is a truly Avengers-level threat. And other than Abomination, yeah... Eh, I don't see that as being, I mean, that could be a formidable antagonist team for an upcoming series. Sure. That could be a formidable, you know, antagonist team for an upcoming movie. Sure. But an Avengers level threat. I, I still think that's a C list bench team, but that's just my take on it. Alan, that's just my take. I'm sure there are probably a lot of people watching that agree with you, but that's just my take on it. All right. Anyway, Caleb writes, including Waller and flag. There are 18 members of the suicide squad. There's 18 members of the squad and suicide squad. How many do you think will die over or under eight? I think over eight die. I think, I think, and I have no insider information on that. I'm just thinking, I think it's going to be a significant number. I wouldn't be surprised if there's only three or four of them left at the end of the show. Honestly, I really, I wouldn't be surprised. I think peacemaker. I think, um, uh, Harley Quinn, I think, man, those are the only two that I think are actually guaranteed to make it out. I'm not even sure about any of the rest of them. I'm really not. So I think it could very well be more over eight. I definitely think it's going to be over eight. I definitely think it's going to be over eight. We'll find out, Caleb. All right, next up, Willow writes, okay, admit it. Did you jump when Ms. Minutes suddenly popped up on screen in Loki? I actually didn't. I really didn't. Uh, I was completely caught off guard because unlike a horror movie, I wasn't expecting any jump scares while watching Loki. Yeah, no, I didn't. I thought it was great, though. And it's not, I just... Listen, I wouldn't care if Miss Minutes popped up in the finale or not if she wasn't used well. She was used well. That little clock was used really well. And I thought it was great. I loved her manner. I loved the way she carried herself. I loved the way she talked to the characters. I thought it was great. But honestly, it didn't surprise me when she popped up because, you know, they're going into the castle in that palace. I was kind of expecting something. So when she popped up, it didn't really catch me all that off guard. But I could totally see why it would. I could totally see why it would. All right. Thanks for writing that in, Willow. Next up, Koa1708 writes, who would win? Xander Cage, Triple X, versus Dominic Toretto from Fast and the Furious. As you know, these are basically invincible gods. Yes, but it would absolutely be Dominic Toretto. Dominic Toretto is the one they would have win because that is by far the more valuable monetarily wise character out of the two. Yeah, Xander Cage is that a couple of movies. That's great. But they've built an empire over around Fast 9. So definitely they would absolutely have Dominic Toretto win that fight. 100%. All right. Well, Conan Forever also writes in. Am I overly sensitive, John? Space Jam, A New Legacy. I saw Porky Pig rap and Looney Tunes play basketball. Bugs, Bunny, Daffy Duck, Speedy Gonzalez. 
I know it's a cartoon, but I shook my head. Now people understand why Black Panther was such a big deal. I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm not quite sure what your point is. Are, by the way, the Porky Pig rap, maybe the rap was kind of cringy, but when they introduced him as the notorious P.I.G., I, look, I, I didn't like Space Jam 2 at all. I thought it was really bad, but it had moments, and I actually thought that moments when they called him the notorious P.I.G., I'm not going to lie, I laughed out loud. I thought that was pretty funny, but when you bring up the point about now people understand why Black Panther was such a big deal. I, are you suggesting now I might be misunderstanding you. Okay. It's totally on the table. I may totally just be misunderstanding you, but are you suggesting that if you do a movie, only a black person can rap and only a black person can play basketball? I, I again, I might be misunderstanding you, but let me read you read it again. Am I overly sensitive? Space Jam, A New Legacy. I saw Porky Pig rap and Looney Tunes play basketball. Uh, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Speedy Gonzalez. I know it's a cartoon, but I shook my head. Now people understand why Black Panther was such a big deal. I, I hope I'm wrong, Wakandan. I hope, I hope you're not suggesting that in film, only somebody who is black can rap and only somebody who is black can play basketball. I don't know if you knew this. True story. Basketball was created by a pasty white Canadian like myself. It's true. It's damn true. It was actually invented by a pasty white Canadian boy. Created the game of basketball. You can go look it up. I'm sure many of you have never heard that before. Go look up who created basketball. Good Canadian kid. Just want. So if I misunderstand you, Wakandan, which I think is a possibility here, I apologize. But yeah, I, 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 other than that, then I, if you are saying what I think you're saying, then I will say yes to your initial statement. I think you're being overly sensitive, but that's just me. Thanks for sharing your thoughts either way, man. All right, Suthius writes, this is the tale of, oh, I know. This is the tale of Captain Jack Sparrow. I, it was one of the greatest music videos ever made. I will fight you. I will fight you over the truism of that statement. One of the greatest things, Lonely Island, Michael Bolton, Captain Jack Sparrow. A mythical quest to the Isle of Tortuga, Ravenlock's way on the ocean breeze. Yeah. Uh, I love this song. I will blast it to my home or in the car. Awesome beat too. It is one of the greatest music videos ever made. Lonely Island's Captain Jack Sparrow is straight up one of the greatest music videos ever made. And like I said, I will fight you over that statement. I totally will. All right, let's move on. All right, next up, we've got uh, Miguel Zayn, who writes, Hey, John, regarding the topic that was discussed discussed days ago of protagonists being in a lose-lose situation due to the antagonist, how about Seven? Oh, that was a pretty good one. Spacey and Brad Pitt. Yep. Also, Michael Corleone wanting to know who the traitor is in part two. Thoughts? I'm not quite sure how that one applies. but that. So what Miguel is talking about, somebody brought up a great question the other day about you know, when in the movies, the villain of the film puts the hero into a basically no in scenario, right? Like no matter what they do, really, they lose. And it's a great question. And I know this has happened a lot. It's just not a list I walk around with off the top of my head. So what I said at the time is the one that really comes to mind was The Dark Knight when Batman had to choose. Do you save Harvey Dent? Do you save Rachel? And, you know, he had to make a choice. And I mean, that ultimately left him in a position where it was lose-lose. I mean, he was going to lose no matter what. And there have been others like that, and that's a good one. The um, the one you're mentioning about Seven is a pretty decent one. Again, I'm not quite sure about how the Corleone one work works. <laughs> of course, he ends up killing Fredo. Uh, spoiler alert, he kills Fredo. Anyway, uh, that's a big one. All right, thanks for bringing that up, Miguel. Next up, Crashing Coyote writes, People need to stop assuming Doctor Strange Jr. What if Hot Toys is... Uh, an anti-electro black gold carbon fiber suit in the blue thing he shoots out is an electric web, not magic. Spidey has anti-electro suits in the books and games and normal webs don't phase electro and Spider-Man too. Okay. Yes. So for those of you who don't know what Captain Coyote uh, or a crashing coyote is talking about, hold a second. Let me see if I can grab this image. Okay. So this is the image in question, right? That came up and you know, obviously the web sling, the description I believe mentioned mystical webs. 
I believe the description mentioned mystical webbing. Plus, some people point out that the uh, blue thing on his chest is connected to a Doctor Strange thing. So this isn't an anti-electro suit. This is mystical energy. Now you can say, well, what if it's this and what if it's that? And I'm like, sure, we could we could talk about what ifs till the cows come home. You know, hey, what if that's a venom symbiote on him with gold piping? I mean, right? The Spider-Man Venom symbiote outfit was black. So maybe what if it's that? I mean, sure, we can come up with a billion what ifs. Now, look, going on the Doctor Strange Jr. thing, I have said every time it's come up that let's give Kevin Feige the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it won't be that way. And maybe they'll come up with a really good narrative situation to kind of explain it. But right now, what they're showing us is a toy of Spider-Man from the upcoming movie covered in mystical energy and shooting out mystical webs. And we know Dr. Strange is going to be part of it. And we see the Lego sets of them all in, you know, Dr. Strange's lair at the same time. So yeah, it's natural that people would start wondering, okay, so then how connected is Spider-Man going to be to Dr. Strange? And is this a Dr. Strange Jr. situation, just like they made him Iron Man Jr. in the previous ones. But again, we don't know. We'll have to give, we'll give them benefit of the doubt and see how it plays out. But that is obviously, when you look at these images, that's, those are obvious and fair questions to ask. Obvious and fair questions to ask. But we'll see where they go with it crashing. All right, next up. Arun Baburj, let me see if I can say this right. Arun Baburaj, I hope I'm saying that pr pronounced uh, properly. Hey, John, like yourself, I didn't completely buy into the Kang reveal, but when you think about it, the Infinity Saga kind of started with Loki being Thanos' pawn in, in Avengers. Now, Loki has introduced us to the next Avengers villain, bringing it full circle. Well, I mean, look, everything in Loki was pointing towards Kang, right? We talked about that for a couple of weeks. Everything in the show pointed towards Kang. From Kang being written on the Avengers Tower to uh, Ravona being in there who's directly connected to Kang, to Eliath, which in the comics is directly connected to Kang, to the Void Castle, which is directly connected to Kang. I mean, everything about this was about pointing towards Kang. I still didn't think it was 100% certainty. I said I, at the end of the day, I gave it an 85% was Kang. I lowered that the day of the finale to 60%. I think it was a 60% chance it was going to be Kang, 40% chance it was going to be a Loki variant. So I was leaning towards Kang. Because everything was pointing towards him. I am not convinced, though, that he's the next Avengers villain. I'm not at all. We're still a long ways off from another Avengers movie. And I kind of think they may wrap up uh, this main story come Doctor Strange 2. I don't know that there. I'm just kind of taking guesses. But uh, I'm not convinced he's the next Avengers villain. I'm not. He could be. It's possible. But I am not bought in on that yet. I'm, I'm just not. All right. Next up. Brandon Visconti writes. Hey, John. So Rob answered this. Thank you, Rob. But now I want your opinion. Since you are a Canadian native, uh, were you ever a fan of Degrassi, the next generation, or Degrassi in general? Thanks, bro. Never watched it. I know that's a very un-Canadian thing for me to say. I never watched Degrassi Junior High. I never watched Degrassi, the next generation, or whatever it was called. I, I never watched either of them. And I know that is such a quintessential Canadian thing, but I never watched them. So I can give, I mean, I know a number of the people who appeared in them, but yeah, I, I never actually watched them, which is kind of weird. I know to a lot of Americans, that's like a Canadian saying they don't play hockey, which of course I do, uh, but, but no, never watched Degrassi. So that was never my thing. Thanks for asking, Brendan. All right. Next up, Anton Riley writes, so I'm a fan of the original Space Jam with Michael Jordan, but this new one looks so awful. I don't want to watch it. No hate to LeBron, but I just don't see the appeal. I'll listen, I'm not going to lie to you. I never liked the one with Michael Jordan all that much. I, I honestly think that thing gets way over praise for the nostalgia factor. That's just my opinion. Doesn't mean I'm right. I'm just saying that's, I've never seen the appeal of the original Space Jam, to be honest with you. I never have. And yeah, this new one isn't that good. I didn't think it was much worse than the Michael Jordan one, though, to be honest with you. And again, like I said, I think Space Jam 2 is quite bad. But it has its moments. It does. And again, while the, when the big game is actually going on, it kind of became fun watching the audience because we picked up like picked out 20, 30, 40, like random little Easter egg characters just in the audience. It was and that part was actually kind of fun. And there were some cute moments and some funny lines. It wasn't a total disaster. 
overall, it's still pretty bad. Don't get me wrong. Space Jam overall is pretty bad. Space Jam 2, I should say. But it had its moments. Uh, and again, I don't think the first one was much better than this one. But that's just that's just me. I know that's sacrilegious to some people for me to say, but that's kind of how I feel about it. All right. Thanks for writing that in, Anton. Next up, Chuck the Mystery writes. Hey, John. I watched two not great but entertaining new films this weekend, and I wondered if you saw either. Gunpowder Milkshake with uh, Karen Gillan, and I thought that was quite bad. Uh, second half was a little bit better than the first half, but overall I thought gunpowder milkshake was quite bad to be honest with you and die in a gunfight with alexander daddario which was another modern romeo and juliet interest level thoughts i'll be honest with you i'm not even aware of the alexander daddario one i'm not even i don't think i've heard of die in a gunfight i don't think i've even heard of that i'll say let me look this up uh, let me see uh die in a gunfight uh let's see die in a gunfight let me open up the imdb so it's got I've never even heard of this. You know, oh, wait, I take that back. Maybe I have. Okay. So it's got Travis Fimmel in it, which was the main guy. He was Ragnar Lothbrook in Vikings. I really like him. I like him a lot. Uh, he was also just the star in What's That Damn Show on, um, on HBO Max. What's it called? Raised by Wolves. He was also starred in Raised by Wolves. He was, of course, the main guy in the Warcraft movie. I like him, actually. I like him a lot. Uh, Justin Chatwin's in it. Alexander Dario, Diego Benita, who... Um... Oh, I thought I said he was one of the... Sh- no, nah, never never heard of it. In, in, in New York City, a young guy falls for the daughter of his father's nemesis. You're right. That completely sounds like a little bit of a Romeo and Juliet scenario, but... Not even heard of it, so I really don't have much interest in watching it. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, Gunpowder Milkshake, which I was really excited about because I thought the trailer was great, uh, ended up really not liking that movie, unfortunately, because I love the people in it. I love the cast, but oof, it was it was bad. Anyway, next up, Doug Turnovian, who writes, I'm not saying much, but after all, I'm saying this. Peacemaker needs to fight Black Adam in a future DC film. Just kidding. I find it cool that The Rock and John Cena are in two big movie franchises, Fast and the Furious. Anyways, love the show. I cannot wait for Suicide Squad. Man, listen. I was always excited about Suicide Squad just because James Gunn's directing it. I am a big Gunn fan. I love James Gunn. And so ever since, you know, we heard he was going to do Suicide Squad, I was like, at first, why Suicide Squad? But then the more I thought about it, the more perfect it was. And of course, the early reactions came out and they are better than any early reactions I've ever heard for a comic book movie. So I'm totally on board. I cannot wait. Obviously, I don't think we need to see John Cena and Dwayne The Rock Johnson as Black Adam and Peacemaker fighting. That would obviously be a very one-sided fight. That's that's a Black Adam fight all the way. But uh, I am very, very excited to see, uh, to see Suicide Squad, Doug. Uh, like a great, great deal. Thanks for writing that in, man. Next up. Yellow CT writes, one or two. I just walked out of Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain. I heard about this. Yeah. I don't usually get affected by celebrity deaths, but he was such a big indirect influence in my life. I'm a chef myself. Interesting. Um, That his loss actually hurt me. I don't really have words to summarize this deeply moving documentary, except for, wow, grab a friend, get some food and grab some tissues highly recommended yeah i still remember like i'm i don't follow celebrity chefs and all that kind of stuff although i do watch the food network whatever but anthony bourdain was like such a quintessential name for that whole industry like when you thought about global food on television you thought anthony bourdain right and i remember when we heard him that he died it was really really shocking obviously that's not a world i travel in but i've heard this documentary is quite good and i do want to check it out i know my wife is very interested and actually really liked anthony bourdain and so we're both very interested in it that and the new val kilmer one just called val i mean these are two that i'm actually very very interested in seeing and i'm thank you for giving it your recommendation uh yellow ct i appreciate that all right guys And our final question of the day. Uh, This one comes into us from Tron who writes, do you think the Loki finale negatively affected Black Widow's second weekend drop? I really don't. I don't think it had anything to do with it. With the MCU fans all talking about the finale and long-term effects, it could could have on the MCU. In my opinion, it didn't seem like people were interested in Black Widow after the first week. I really don't think that had anything to do. I, I don't think Loki had 
anything to do with the Black Widow drop-off. It had all to do with Disney's dumb uh, Premier Access program. Uh, Deadline actually ran two great articles earlier today about why they, Deadline, feel that the Disney Plus subscription, uh, the premium release of it, day and date theaters killed it. And then they ran another one talking about why the why NATO, uh, the National Association of Theater Owners, why they put out this big, long thing. And they made an incredibly long list of very valid points. Um, so I think that had more to do with it than anything. It, I don't think it had anything to do with Loki. I don't think it had anything to do with Loki. I think there were some other factors as well, but I don't think Loki had anything to do with it at all. But that's just my take on it. Thanks for writing that in, Tron. And with that, that'll do it for this installment of the companion video. Thank you guys for watching this video and spending some of your time with us. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in these questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did. And all of us involved with the John Campia show. Thank you guys so very, very much for that support. Okay, guys, don't forget to join uh, me and Robert Meyer Burnett on the John Campy show tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing you there. And again, don't forget on Wednesday, it's going to be me, Robert and our good friend from real rejects. Greg Alba is going to be joining us as well. That'll do it for us for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.